Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Housing is a big thing for me. Um, I think I, I think it's absurd how expensive things are getting. I'm a teacher in Boston. I can't even live in Boston to teach. Rent is also going up really high. I'm really scared. Mine goes up in like two months, so I'm like really scared to figure out what that's going to be like. Housing, rent, inflation, the economy, the big... That was MSNBC talking about Latino voters. Yet, while they say on the screen abortion is a top five issue for Latino voters... They're talking about rent. They're talking about the cost of everything. Abortion doesn't rank. It is a compounding issue. The economy is the issue. And yet we have a White House that wants to tell you how great they're doing. They want to tell you how they're bringing down the costs. And oh, wages, they're up. First... The economic plan is working, and second is building an economy that will reward work. Wages are up this month, provide opportunity, help the middle class, and still have work to do, but we're on track. Wages are not up compared to inflation. Just go back and listen to the Latino voters. Wages are not up compared to inflation. This is a recording, yet you keep telling us that everything is totally fine. Like you keep telling us that it's a good thing we have 87,000 new IRS agents because that dastardly Trump wasn't doing enough audits. But some of the energy changes are going to take effect quite soon, too. Um, For instance, uh, the focus on clean energy will mean that your electric bill will go down around $1,000 by 2030. It means that appliances will cost a lot less than they have before. And immediately in 2023, the tax code will become fairer because a lot of the big corporations who paid no taxes will start paying them, and individuals will finally be audited. The Trump administration did a despicable thing. They basically didn't audit anybody who made over a million dollars, and they said, if you made $40,000, we're going to audit you because there's fraud in the earned income tax credit. It was despicable. We have put money in for more auditors and only for people who make above $400,000. So That's not true. That is an absolute lie from Chuck Schumer, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, always a pleasure to be with you. That is a lie from Chuck Schumer. There was an amendment. There was an opportunity to codify this, that these 87,000 new agents wouldn't just be sent there to audit people who make $30,000, $40,000, $50,000 a year. Every Democrat voted no. There are less than 1,000 billionaires in the country. 87,000 agents to audit them? Oh, no. No, 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 no. No one's buying it. No one's believing it. And Chuck Schumer trusted on this subject? Absolutely not. Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa on Fox and Friends this morning. 
Okay. Also, uh, Senator, while you're there, I'm sure in addition, you're sitting today in Des Moines, I'm sure in addition to uh, the search warrant execution that uh, happened a couple of nights ago, the news as well that apparently the IRS is going to hire a whole bunch of new people. They got $80 billion to hire a bunch of people. And one of the job postings said this, if you get this job, you've got to be able to carry a firearm and be willing to use deadly force if necessary. Be willing and able to participate in arrests, uh, execution of search warrants, and other dangerous assignments. So it sounds like uh, the IRS is arming up. Are they going to have a strike force that goes in with yeah. uh, AK-15s already loaded, ready to shoot uh, some uh, small business person in Iowa uh, with these? Because I think they're going after middle class and small business people because basically they think anybody that has passed through income is a crook and they aren't paying their fair share and we're going to go after them. And Don't get me wrong. I don't like the fact that he said AK-15 when it's AR-15. But just like I did for the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, uh, uh, Chris Ballard, I, I, I will give grace for somebody thinking of two things and combining them. I will give the grace. That's that's who I am. I take knocks for this. I honestly don't don't worry about it. You know, if, if somebody wants to come at me for one of these things, uh, yeah, that's fine. I, 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 I sleep like a baby. That's that's all there is to it. These IRA and we and we already discussed the idea that we would have a an, an ad where we want IRS agents using deadly force, what exactly do we want from this organization? If I was president, I would be slicing and dicing the IRS like it was my job. We've now proven that the income tax is is violent. It's an attack on the citizenry, and we should get rid of this terrible experiment. It wasn't the idea that the government can have access to our income, parts of our income, nuts. You can engage taxes. You're more than welcome to engage taxes. Luxury taxes, states can have taxes, income tax, no. Never worked, just abolish the thing. Tell the country to get its money elsewhere. We're going to cut programs. And then there's this, this whole idea, well, you're always talking about cutting programs, cutting programs. Uh, but what's the matter? Police aren't part of this? The Democrat candidate for Senate in Wisconsin actually wants to make this argument. And, you know, defunding isn't necessarily as aggressive as, as a lot of folks paint it, paint it. You know, school budgets get cut almost every year. Uh, the arts budgets get cut almost every year. You know, music programs, all these programs see budget cuts, uh, uh, unfortunately. And it's the result. That's a part of the reason why we are where we are, uh, because our youth don't have the outlets that they once had uh, to express themselves. And, you know, every other budget that gets cut is it, it seems like oh well you know we just had to cut this budget we had to do what we had to do we had to tighten up our purse strings we had to tighten up our belt but the minute you talk about you know reducing uh, a, a police department's budget then it's like all hell breaks loose and everybody everybody acts like you, you are you're, you're signaling Armageddon but that's not the case because you don't call cutting a budget defunding. 
defunding police is equivalent to ending the police. And that's what you mean. I don't, I don't know who this guy is, but what kind of garbage is this? Do you think you could sell this to America? It's just a flat-out lie from a flat-out liar. What do you expect from people who, who side with the communist way of thinking, the Marxist way of thinking? And that's exactly what it is. We've proven it. What a... The idea, well, we, we slash budgets all the time. People don't lose their minds. First of all, yes, they do. Secondly, defund means to end, to stop funding, not to cut a budget, not to reduce a budget. Defund means to end. We don't notice, you gaslighting lunatic. What a putz. I don't know. Putz has become like one of my, my words as of late. I do go through phases with words. The word about the IRS is that what we are seeing in this growth of agents is gross. What we are going to deal with is absurd. However, the story here, the story that is moving America, is the story of prices. But for the consumers, they're still paying high prices. I mean, a lot of prices are still sticky. They're the sticky. Price is not going to come down by 12% because it was just up 12%. That's the whole story. The story is the cost of everything. That's the election. That's the ball game. And you are not crazy for noticing, even though there is this incredible amount of cloud cover going on to try and make you think that everything is good or the issue isn't what you know it to be. We should, as a nation, be focused on supply chain. We, as a nation, should be focused on lowering costs. How do we make it easier to produce food? How do we make it easier to get the food to the marketplace? How do we ensure better supply chain access? How do we, how do we, how do we then implement? And if something doesn't work, take that out and try the next thing. But just like COVID, because our leadership are a bunch of blanking morons, and it is. It's embarrassing. It really is. We are now in, in, stuck in a in a in a partisan political fight. Now, if that's the way it's going to be, I want to win it. I want to win the fight because they're wrong. The answer to supply chain issues is fixing supply chain. Well, Tony, it's not as easy as that. Well, it would be if you said, you know what? Because things are in a desperate way, we have to reduce regulations and ensure the trucks can get into California and ensure that the ports uh, can be open to full capacity, including telling the longshoremen to pound sand and figure out other ways to unload the ships at the port of Long Beach in Los Angeles. Let them sue. Who gives a damn? We've got a national emergency on our hands, people. An emergency. You know it's an emergency because we have sirens and everything. Oh my God. Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the procedure, calm. everyone? What's the procedure? Stay What's going on? Holy crap, I am freaking out. That's how you know it's an emergency because Peter Griffin is freaking out. So you send in the National Guard or whoever it is you damn well have to send in. You take the goods off the ship, you load the trucks, and then you get those trucks moving. He's pounding down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? We send them racing across America. First one to the other side gets a cookie. He's pounding down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? 
We're not talking about any other kind of cookies. We're talking about good chocolate chip cookies. None of that oatmeal raisin crap. Uh, now, good oatmeal cookie. Yes. Oatmeal raisin, shame on you. And shame on your mom for telling you it's a sweet treat. I mean, <laughs> those are the facts. Right? I'm not missing anything. Am I in this? I didn't, I didn't think so. I did not think so. We have to solve problems. And solving problems involves leadership. And we cannot be voting for people or coddling people who want to engage in the partisanship. Talk to the people who have infants who still can't find baby formula. Go ahead. Go to your go to your computer, go to your phone and type in baby formula shortage. And they will all tell you it is there. That it continues. Why in the world don't we have action on the baby formula? And why is it parents haven't said, I'm making my own, I checked with my doctor, it's fine. I don't give a damn what any organization thinks about anything. And it's not enough to solve the baby formula shortage. You have to put an end to this ridiculous cartel-like system that only has one or two people making baby formula with these contracts per the state. Open this stuff up. What are we, nuts? This isn't about protection. This is about protectionism. Count me out. And if you tell me, well, Tony, you don't understand. I understand that moms can't feed their kids. Your move, political fool. You political hack bastard. Your move, mom can't feed Junior. What do you have? Because I have the desire to help mom feed Junior. You got to vote for these people. You got to be demanding these actions. You got to be on top of your elected officials, not interested in their partisanship. You have to be relentless, respectful, but relentless. Relentless. And when they don't listen, you got to vote their ass out. It's a must. The IRS hiring 87,000 more agents is 150%, about more audits on everyday Americans. That's what's going to happen. You know it, and I know it. If you're somebody who is okay with that, congratulations, you've identified yourself as the issue. If you are okay with hiring 87,000 IRS agents because it creates jobs, congratulations, you are the issue. You're the issue. You're the problem. Just so we all understand each other. If you're okay with, for example, a raid on the former president's home based on the Presidential Records Act, well, you're, you're, you're the problem. And not only do we have to say what the problems are, we have to go about solving the damn problems. We have to solve the problems. That's done via elections. Now, the pushback I get on this argument 
It's not an argument. It's just more of like a rallying call, a recognition of what's in front of us and, and, and a statement of how to deal with it, is that many people do not believe, do not believe uh, that the elections are, are, are safe. They don't. And I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to say to that because I can appreciate that people are concerned. They question whether or not they're going to have a fair election again. Even if you're not somebody who says the totality of the 2020 election was stolen, it is very rational to say, oh man, there were issues. Things that happened should never have happened. Pennsylvania, the judiciary there, man, should have been obliterated for usurping the authority of the legislative branch. I mean... That's what happened. The Pennsylvania electoral votes never should have been certified. I can say that clearly without without even a question in my mind. The issues that took place in Fulton County in Georgia, some of the issues that took place in Arizona, not to the extent that President Trump says, but certainly an extent of issues. We should note these things. We should fix these things. But if we aren't engaged in overwhelming voting, we have no shot. I don't the, the the other way it gets done, man. You ain't ready for that. I, I mean, the country isn't ready for that. I get why they're they're bothered. I get why they're worried. I hear you, loud and clear. But your solutions are limited, and voting is one of them. So overwhelmingly vote. Get everybody you know to vote. And then when the people you elect don't do the job, never trust them again, never vote for them again, go to the next person. They're just cogs in a machine. We are the important part, not them. I'm Tony Katz. So there was a story out of New Mexico where over the past few months, four Muslim men have been killed. And people are like, what in the world is going on? Well, there was an arrest. And I noticed that the arrest didn't get much play because the suspect who was arrested is Mohammed Syed, who has been accused of the murders of Aftab Hussein and Mohammed Afzal Hussein. And he's also a suspect in the killing of Naeem Hussein and Mohammed Akmadi. So you had in New Mexico four Muslim men killed. It was, you had the, the, the governor and others talking about this is despicable. We won't allow this kind of hate in, in our state. The suspect is also Muslim. And the story disappeared. I'm sorry, four Muslim men were murdered. I think that's a story. Four men in general murdered in, in your state uh, under suspicious circumstances, I think it's a story. You now have a suspect, but because he's Muslim, it's a, no longer a story? This is the soft bigotry that's destroying society. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. It seems that elections, the, the, the raid on Trump's house... You know, taking all the uh, oxygen out of the room. And understandable. I mean, these are, are big, big stories, but there are other stories. 
that require our attention. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. One of them, of course, is about gun rights. And while the American Bar Association is pushing for more gun control, the weirdest fight in the world is going on in Florida regarding the right to keep and bear arms and marijuana. It's the strangest thing that you've ever seen about whether or not you can be somebody who is engaged in medical marijuana and still have a right to a firearm. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. A bag of weed, a bag of weed, or everything is better with a bag of weed. It's the only nothing that's ever known. A bag of weed, a bag of weed, Cam Edwards joins us right now. He is the editor of BearingArms.com, B-E-A-R-I-N-G, BearingArms.com. You can find him on Twitter, at Cam Edwards. This involves a Democrat who is suing the DOJ for the way they are treating people who utilize medical marijuana in regards to their gun rights. Break it down. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we are going to have to talk about elections uh, if we're going to break this down, Tony, because I think that's what is what is what is at the heart uh, of this lawsuit. So Florida's agriculture commissioner is Nikki Fried. She's the only statewide elected Democrat in Florida. And in Florida, the ag commissioner is actually the one that's in charge of the concealed carry licensing program. So Nikki Fried, huge proponent of uh, marijuana. I think she's uh, invested in some uh, cannabis businesses down there in Florida. And I think she's trying to make an appeal to the uh, pro-cannabis Democrats uh, in Florida and maybe even a couple of gun owners as well by filing suit, as you say, against the Biden administration over the federal Schedule One uh, status of cannabis and the fact that, you know, even if you live in a state that has legalized uh, marijuana use, either medicinally or recreationally, if you partake, you lose access to your right to keep and bear arms. It doesn't matter if you've got a doctor's note or whatever, because this is a, an illegal drug at the federal level. It doesn't really matter what state law says. So she did file suit against the Biden administration. Um, but here's the thing. She's leaving office. She's running for governor in Florida. She's taking on Charlie Chris in the Democratic primary. So she's not going to be the ag commissioner come January. Well, this case isn't going to be resolved before that either. So I, I think this is a bit of an election stunt for Nikki Freed. Um, but at the same time, I got to say, I don't think she's wrong. I think this is an issue that, frankly, Republicans and Democrats, neither one uh, are really eager to address this. Democrats don't want to do anything that looks like they're being soft on guns. Republicans don't really want to do anything that looks like they're being soft on drugs. But in the meantime, you do have, I, I would argue, millions of Americans who could benefit from using cannabis uh, who, who are forced now, if they do so, to give up their Second Amendment rights. This is, it's, what is this? I mean, I just stuttered my way through that, and I apologize because I didn't know exactly what word I wanted to use. Is it the law of unintended consequences? Like, this, it's, it's a fascinating kind of dissection of, of two things just punching each other in the face where people are like, yeah, wait, well, no, but, and that's where you get to this. The argument yeah. is that if you're using medical marijuana, which may be allowed on the state level, and the feds have yet to ever go prosecute, well, it's a federal offense, so therefore you're giving up your gun rights. This has not made its way yet to any court anywhere? Um, it, you know, it has, I think, in, in years past, but the federal government, you know, look, they've scheduled marijuana as a Schedule One drug. 
Uh, and until they change the law, I think I, I honestly I don't think there's really going to be any recourse in the courts uh, because that's the real issue here. You know, this this problem could disappear tomorrow if Congress simply passed a law and said, all right, we're moving cannabis from Schedule One to Schedule Two, uh, meaning that there is some additional benefit uh, for using this. I mean, Tony, the situation is so crazy right now. As you know, my wife has lung cancer. She's a stage four lung cancer patient. I have watched her go through chemotherapy, lose her appetite, throw up constantly. And I can't tell you how many times she's been told, I've been told, oh, well, just, you know, use marijuana. You can use an edible. You can you know, take a pill or whatever. Well, she doesn't want to lose her Second Amendment rights. Meanwhile, if her doctor prescribed her a fentanyl patch for pain relief, she can still go out and buy a gun, right? Because fentanyl is a Schedule II drug. It was, you know, a doctor's prescription is fine. It doesn't matter if you are an alcoholic. It doesn't matter if you are, you know, on pain pills. This is such a screwy situation. And, again, the really frustrating thing is I think that there is a legitimately easy fix, but I don't think either party really has the impetus to to move on this. Right, because the, the fix would be make it Schedule 2, which is an admission of a, a – medical value here but you're right there is there is a political backlash that will come from those on the political right as if somehow you're giving into this Uh, and if you were to then go the other side the left not wanting you to be able to anyway codify a gun right you shouldn't be able to take medical marijuana and still be able to own a firearm which is far different than being uh, on the actual drug and utilizing your firearm which I would I would only assume, uh, Cam, that if you are drunk, if you are impaired and utilizing your firearm, uh, that is something that could lead to the loss of your ability to have a firearm. Absolutely. I mean, look, there's no federal law against, uh, you know, using a gun while you're drunk. But but in the vast majority of states, um, going armed while impaired is a crime just like driving drunk. Right. Um, And so that is something that I think could be handled at the state level. Uh, let the states figure out the intricacies of this law. Um, maybe there's an exception for self-defense in the home or something like that. But, you know, I, I, I think, again, as you say, it, it is just a matter of, um, you know, there are a lot of folks uh, on the right who are not down with the idea of legalizing marijuana in any shape or form. Uh, and as you say, the hostility towards the Second Amendment on the left is, is so extreme right now. I actually covered a case in Massachusetts a few months ago where citizens uh, put a petition out objecting to the opening of a gun store in their downtown area. Meanwhile, because they said, you know, kids are going to walk by the store, they're going to see these guns for sale. There's a marijuana dispensary like two doors down. <laughs> and that's fine, right? <laughs> but kids can walk past, you know, the uh, the smell of pot walking out of the store on their way to and from school. But uh, how dare they look at a twenty two rifle in the window? Um, I mean, you know, it's just this type of absurdity, I think, that – is leading to this logger jam. And the sad thing is, for me anyway, again, are those people who really, I think, could benefit from this, who, who shouldn't have to worry about going to prison or making a choice between their health and the right of self-defense. Talking to Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com, B-E-A-R-I-N-G, BearingArms.com. It's a fascinating uh, story and uh, the, the the politics of it, the bedfellows of it, it it's fantastic. But uh, you also are reporting on the American Bar Association. Th- th- these are the lawyers, right? This is the lawyers, uh, a group of lawyers, and they're desirous 
of more gun control, which is always a problem for those of us who want our rights. It seems that lawyers are very good at ensuring that they get to keep their rights and everybody else's rights are up for grabs. What is it that the Bar Association is pushing here? Yeah, it's always fun when the uh, lawyers call for more laws, right? I, I, I prefer to think of this as sort of like the uh, lawyers. It's job security. I thought it was job right? security. <laughs> no, I, I, that's exactly right. Um, so the interesting thing is one of the laws that they're actually calling for is a law that has been enacted now. Um, a, a law that uh, was part of this, you know, bipartisan gun deal that supposedly closes the, uh, the quote-unquote boyfriend loophole. So somebody who's been convicted of a uh, domestic violence uh, misdemeanor against a, um, a dating partner, for example, um, would no longer be eligible to, to buy a firearm. This is one of the things that the uh, ABA was calling for, and it's already done. Um, the other thing that they want to do is to uh, basically impose a default three-day waiting period for all gun purchases. So it doesn't matter if your background check comes back and you're good to go after 45 minutes or an hour. They want you to wait for three days before you take possession of that firearm. Um, I, I got to tell you, Tony, I think that we've seen a challenge to a waiting period in Vermont uh, upheld by the courts. I don't know that the Supreme Court uh, is going to take quite as uh, positive a view of that type of restriction because – you know, look, there are times when somebody who's buying a gun could wait a week or two or, you know, even longer maybe before they needed access to that firearm. But there are going to be times when somebody goes to a gun store and buys a gun because they are deathly concerned for their public safety. They've got somebody who has, you know, threatened them and they want to be able to protect themselves. And the idea that we're going to force them to wait for 72 hours, even if they've given, they've got the green light from the government to purchase a firearm, is just uh, extraordinarily off base to me. That puts people at risk. That doesn't save lives. Um, well, again, isn't, isn't the argument, though, it, isn't the argument that? That, that you can't name another right where you have to, to wait in order to, to utilize it? Well, the, the, the three days, three days is an arbitrary number. Why can't it be five? Why can't it be four months? Do they admit mm-hmm. that it's a totally arbitrary thought process? Yeah, well, the Vermont decision came down before the Bruin decision was issued. Um, and so I don't know that uh, that, that argument held sway. I mean, look, we're still not in a position where the Second Amendment is being treated as a real right. I'll give you a perfect example of this. Um, you know, if you were to try to lawfully carry a firearm in New York State right now, you couldn't do it because you, as a uh, Indiana resident, can't get a, an out-of-state permit. They don't issue them. Uh, there's no way for you to lawfully bear arms in, in New York State as an Indiana resident. Well, what other constitutionally protected right do we lose when we cross our state line? You know, so there are all kinds of issues here that have yet to be litigated. And I think uh, we've still got a long way to go before the Second Amendment is actually placed on the same level as our First, uh, first Amendment rights, our Fourth Amendment rights, uh, when it comes to recognition, not only at the federal level, but the state and local level as well. So the the question then is, with the ABA knowing this and knowing what the legal challenge is in front of them, why do they do it? Why do they push this kind of idea when they clearly know what the response is? They clearly know what the the laws are. They know what the court reactions have been. Why do they go down this road? Well, I guess you'd have to ask them. Uh, My guess is that, you know, you've got a bunch of anti-Second Amendment attorneys there at the ABA who 
uh, see no problem whatsoever in restricting the rights of American citizens as long as it doesn't impact them personally. Uh, and, you know, that, that's a problem, <laughs> not just with the ABA, but I think with a lot of American voters, too. Um, you know, the good news is I, this is a resolution that they passed at their uh, at their convention. Um, I don't think it's going to have any impact on Congress whatsoever. Uh, but, you know, if I had to hire an attorney going forward, uh, I'd probably ask them, you know, so where do you stand on a position like this? Or maybe I'd just uh, contact Guy Relford. Ah, Guy Relford, uh, the gun guy on 93.1 of MWIBC, uh, a good guy, Indianapolis guy. Um, since uh, the, the Bruin decision uh, that was part of the uh, decisional-rama from the Supreme Court uh, this last session, a tremendous number of decisions of consequence coming out of it, um, what has been the response? That, of course, was the New York uh, State Pistol and Rifle Association uh, case, and this is about whether or not basically you can get a, a license, whether or not you can have a license to keep and bear arms, even if, though I, people like myself would argue you don't need a license to engage your Second Amendment rights. What has been the follow-up on that, not only in the state of New York, where they've tried to make moves to continue to ban guns, but across the country? What's been the fallout? Well, you know, you haven't actually seen much of a change in the red states because most of those are already shall issues. So the Supreme Court decision didn't really impact them. Um, but, you know, from New York to California, what we've really seen is just this, I think, push to uh, thumb their nose at the Supreme Court's decision, whether it's New York uh, saying, all right, fine, we're going to drop our, our good cause requirement, but we're going to basically declare the entire state to be a sensitive place where nobody can lawfully carry a firearm. Uh, to California, they've passed more than a dozen gun control bills since the Bruin decision was handed down. And some of them, Tony, I mean, none of them are good, but some of them are, are really, truly extreme. Like there's a bill that uh, Gavin Newsom signed into law. It's being challenged in court right now that makes it a, a crime, makes it a civil penalty to market a firearm to minors. And this law is written so broadly that it has now shut down junior shooting sports across the state of California. The high school uh, trap league, for example, is not – there's suspended operations because – Simply holding a trap event, if it's got a sponsor from a, you know, a gun maker or an ammunition maker, that could be seen as marketing firearms to juveniles. And every offense comes with a $25,000 fine. So if you've got 100 kids competing, right, you can imagine how quickly the fines would rack up. Uh, and so this is, you know, not just an attack on the Second Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens, but really it's an attack on the First Amendment rights as well. It's a crime to... Uh, make clothing uh, that uh, could appeal to a, a, a juvenile's uh, desire to own a gun when they get older one day. So if you you know you got a Smith & Wesson shirt and like a size small, uh, you know that that alone could be enough uh, to trigger this California law. It's 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 not surprising to see the backlash, but it, I got to tell you, it's really depressing because you know when you've got one of our two major political parties who are proudly standing in opposition to the exercise of a constitutionally protected right um it, it's disturbing and i think this is you know probably the the first time since the 1950s or 60s when we've really seen the democratic party as a whole uh, embrace this idea of of massive resistance to the exercise of a constitutional right back then it was democrats standing in the you know schoolhouse doors preventing uh, desegregation from taking place. And now it is, uh, you know, these politicians like Gavin Newsom and Kathy Hochul putting up these barriers between law-abiding citizens and the right to keep and bear arms. 
Cam Edwards from BearingArms.com, B-E-A-R-I-N-G, BearingArms.com. Cam, always appreciate the chance to talk with you. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Can't touch this. Today marked the funeral for late Representative Jackie Walorski. Uh, there, the second district of Indiana, the Elkhart area, uh, a regular guest uh, on this show. I enjoyed her very much. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Um, the It should not be forgotten that, that this accident was horrific and it took four lives. And, and some people, you know, uh, Emma Thompson, who was her press secretary, I, I worked with, uh, you know, coordinating things. I didn't know her well. It's not, we were longtime friends, but just what a, what a thing. What a 28? Whole thing's a disaster. And this woman whose car got hit, she did nothing wrong. Right? The original story was she was the one who crossed the line. Then we hear that it was Walorski's car that crossed the line. It's awful any way you look at it. And all of these people des- deserve to be mourned. It's a terrible story. I don't know if we'll ever find out why the car moved across. I'd love to know. These people will be missed, all of them. So, there's that. Tomorrow, everyone, I'm Tony Katz. Take care.